CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. No, Ben, I'm not coming over later to build a snowman with you. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. How's it going? All right. Well, all right, what? All right, here we go. What are you doing? Here we go. God, here we go. Got him. Okay, we are live. Why don't you share with everybody what we're doing there? Well, I couldn't remember the the names of all seven Republican senators. Ah, there we go. Got it. Okay. (laughs) All right. Just so people know how my brain works. Where is it? I forgot Bill Cassidy. I humbly apologize to Bill Cassidy, the Republican senator from Louisiana. was one of the seven. We voted uh, to convict Donnie Trump. So there you go, guys. Breaking the fourth wall there. A little pre-show prep live. That's just for uh, the the live listeners, of course, because uh, Dennis will edit that out uh, for the podcast. So people in the podcast will think, oh, my God, he's brilliant. He knows all seven senators. Yeah, we'll let it. We'll edit that out. How's it going, everybody? We are live. Yes, I am back from my ski trip. Yes, Jay Marie. I went skiing over the weekend, everybody. Yeah, I had a ski. I had a ski end. He's going uh, deep sea diving next weekend, and uh, after that, he's going to do a little mountain climbing. <laughs> <laughs> more well, on that. Maybe, more maybe on that later. I imagine more on my uh, my ski end uh, a little later. So we'll talk about that when it comes yes. up. Uh, you're been. I think you're going on a golf outing. Okay, I'm not uh, doing. Next weekend, not maybe. doing any of that. <laughs> Holy crap, there's a lot of snow out there, everybody. <laughs> Your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, February 16th. is just moments away. But before we do this, let's thank our sponsors. Sponsors like SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana. Yes, they are sponsors. The Chicago Federation of Labor are sponsors as well. And the Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com. Subscribe to the Reader. Support the Reader. Let them know that you appreciate the Ben Jarofsky show. And speaking of... A big way that you can do that. Well, there's two options that you have here. One, Ben Jarofsky has a book coming out. Ben, tell people about this book. This book is my greatest hits. Uh, it's a collection of stories I've done down through the years. It's it's essentially, folks, I'm going to just be very honest. First of all, it's a great read. Let's get that off, if I must say so myself. But secondly, it's a way to raise money for this show. And uh, so we have this whole thing we're coming up with. Dennis figured it out. I got to give Dennis credit. He came up. Am I allowed to let the cat out of the bag, D? Let that out of the bag. Whoa, I think that was two cats. <laughs> Get back in. Well, no, they're still like running around my room. <laughs> wow, what a weird imagination. Like, I made up the cat in the bag. Now I got the cat running around the room. Get in that bag. But about that book. Oh, about the book, yes. Uh, and so uh, we have this whole promotional uh, thing we're going to be doing. Uh, buy the book, help support the show. And uh, become a Ben head. Uh, it was it was Dennis's idea. He came up with that, and everybody was like, "Oh God, this guy is smart." Yeah, we're coming up with like a, a way that you can help support the, uh, our program by becoming a Ben head. Yes, that's true. All right, your monthly or yearly donation uh, keeps Ben on the podcast and off the streets, according to this uh, 
piece I'm reading here. I'd love to be hanging out that alley at that porta potty, okay? But now I'm here doing something. But by becoming a binhead is what we're calling. Uh, are you a binhead listening right now? Uh, by becoming a binhead, you will receive a weekly newsletter from Ben with exclusive behind the scenes revelations, a roadmaps to all things Jarofsky. Oh, Lord, who knows what that means? That can mean a lot of things. And curated links to the latest podcast episodes. Become a binhead. And rumor has it you'll get a deal on uh, this Ben Jarofsky book that is set to come out. Learn more at chicagoreader.com slash Jarofsky. Uh, Well, here's a throwback. Ben, spell that last name for him, please. Oh, my God. We haven't done this since the old days. Uh, That's J-O-R-A. V as in victory, as my beloved Bulls did last night. S-K-Y. And they actually did win a game last night. They beat Indiana in overtime. How about that, D? Uh, Yes, please, uh, please, please, please become a bedhead. Help us out. Was fun the show, please. Oh, okay, we don't want to sound too desperate. Hey, it'd be okay, cool. You know, it'd be cool if you, uh, you know, helped us out. You know, it'd be all right. De edit that out. I'll do it the way it was uh, WBC. And if you subscribe now, you get the newsletter and a Benhead doll. So subscribe right now. Okay. How about that? Is I don't that think there's a Benhead doll. <laughs> we should bring Kenny D, Ken Davis. He invented Pledge Drive at BEZ. He's a little modest about that, but many years ago, he kind of invented that. We should bring Kenny D, Ken Davis back uh, just to help us sell the, the book. But it is a great book. If I must say so myself, a lot of, um, oh my goodness, go back to the Bill Ayer story I did in the early nineties about, uh, the weatherman, the radical group weatherman turned a political insider in Chicago. Uh, I'm going down memory lane, Norm Van Leer story, the great Norm Van Leer basketballs, there's some sports, there's politics, uh, a story that mentioned Monroe story. I teased about it last week going back to the 80s about Leonida McClain, the great Chicago Tribune uh, columnist. I've been writing stories for the reader for a long, long time, D. So. Yes, you have. In Dragon Slayer 19, he just answered your question right there. No, it's not like 300 pages on tiffs. <laughs> more than tiffs, all right? <laughs> you know, Dragon Slayer, I got to confess, I, I there's not a tiff story in the book, and I saw like, you know, I want to show people I could, I was I'm more than just a TIFF guy. Whoa. Okay. I, I'm like, I know that that's what you know me as. Oh, the TIFF guy, the weird TIFF guy. And it's, I'm okay. I'm good with it, D. You know, I can live with it. That's my life. I understand it. But there's more to me, okay? <laughs> It's Ben Jarofsky's greatest hits. It's a collection of profiles and features handpicked by the man himself from his 40, my Lord, 40 years of writing for the reader. Each article offers a distinctive portrait of an activist, politician, writer, or sports personality. Guys, go check it out. Uh, more information, uh, chicagoreader.com slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A, V is in victory, S-K-Y. Okay. Ben, you have a song of the day. Okay. Back, back, back to business here, all right? Uh, it does come from Frank, who will be appearing on the Ben Jarofsky show, all right, this week. Get ready. Uh, the song, She's a Rainbow by the Rolling Stones. Oh, my God. I like that song. She's a rainbow. She's got colors everywhere. Wah, 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 wah. She comes her head. Wah, 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 wah. She comes in color. That's like that ep- uh, era that was like, it was an era, like six months where the, Stones were all psychedelic, man. Rainbow, wow, wow. (laughs) It was a song of the day. Ever notice how all the songs sort of end the same way? Yeah. (laughs) Just now catching on to that, huh? 
Yeah, it takes me a while. <laughs> the Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. It is Tuesday, February 16th, and snowed in in my apartment in his attic. This is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, 35th Ward Alderman, Carlos Ramirez Rosa. And now your host, not an alderman. <laughs> Chicago Raider columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Trump Walks Tuesday, and here's why. Good week. You have a good weekend. How'd that skiing go? Everybody wants to know how the skiing go, D. Huh? Everybody's dying to know how my uh, ski trip went and it was fun uh you know what's the name of that fellow fellow you're talking about jean-claude what jean-claude keely yeah i'm no jean-claude keely i learned that over the weekend holy crap <laughs> i fell like every single time i tried to go down did hill. you make it off the bunny hill no of course not okay right. hell no i never right. yeah yeah a lot of cursing happened and uh you know just uh you know it was fun I can cross it off the list to say I've done it, but uh, you can only. And, oh, and the, and the trainer guy. Oh, my God. I was ready to strangle the trainer guy. <laughs> I know. It's always so easy. Well, it's oh, yeah. You gotta do. Now, listen, all it is, it's pizza, French fries, pizza, French fries. Pizza's stopping because you make a pizza shape. I'm like going down the hill about to fall down. Come on, pizza. Dennis, pizza. <laughs> Like this bastard. <laughs> I don't remember that. Again, I went skiing once. Many, many years ago, Dennis was born, and I just I, I went down the bunny hill, fell, and said, that's it. Went into the lounge and hung out there for the rest of the day while my friends <laughs> finished. Oh, God, it was so much fun, Ben. <laughs> and not a skier. I don't come from a long line of skiers. But do you look great? And Thanks. I know you're really into this stuff now. Next week, of course, it'll be golfing. Uh, After that, it'll be a little tennis. Not true. Uh, you're going to take a bridge. And uh, pretty soon you'll be uh, scuba diving off the coast of Cuba. So um, now, Dennis, I know you fell down here, but now you got to remember French fries, pizza, pizza, French fries. Like, dude, okay, I get it. Yeah, pizza, French fries. I'm hungry. (laughs) Like you're eight years old. Yeah. He's he's used to teaching eight year olds. He took a look at you and go, oh, God, I got to deal with this guy. Anyway. That was Dennis this weekend. Uh, I, on the other hand, just uh, hit out of my house, as I always do. Highlight of the weekend, saw Judas and the Black Messiah. Excellent flick. I urge everybody to run the walk. Tells the story of uh, the murder of Fred Hampton, the assassination of Fred Hampton. Uh, it kind of misleading, uh, the, the movie, because it le- leads you to believe that the murder was carried out by FBI agents. And I suppose, ultimately, it doesn't really matter uh, like who killed him if for the sake of a movie. But in reality, uh, he was killed by Chicago police officers uh, while he was sleeping and he was drugged. Uh, in fact, uh, some people say I've read, a, I've read this, uh, this, the, the study of all the drugs in the system indicated that he may have died from just the drugs in the system uh, as opposed to just like, Killing, shooting him wouldn't have been a was more than enough. It was anyway. It was an assassination of Fred Hampton, the former head of the Black Panthers uh, in the state of Illinois. I urge everybody uh, to check it out. It's a really powerful flick. Lakeith Stanfield, in my humble opinion, D two thumbs way up. He plays 
uh, William O'Neill, who is the turncoat, the Judas in the title, uh, becomes a FBI operative and spies. On. This is all real, folks. I urge everybody. Mike Irvin wrote a story in the Reader when uh, William O'Neill died. Uh, William O'Neill ended up committing suicide, uh, jumping onto I think it was the Eisenhower Expressway, getting run over. Anyway, uh, he did a story in the Reader about it. William O'Neill died and committed suicide in 1990, uh, and. It, Furthermore, I urge everyone, uh, and I put the, the story up uh, on our um, uh, website, the interview I did was about a year or so ago, D, maybe more than that, with Flint Taylor, who was the lawyer for uh, the Fred Hampton's family who sued the feds. 14 years this lawsuit um, was in court. 14 years, Flint Taylor and his partner, Jeff Haas, uh, and the Hamptons, Fred Hampton survivors were battling the powers that be who are covering up and burying the truth. Uh, very powerful stuff. I urge everybody, if you haven't already, to check out that interview with Flint Taylor. Maybe I'll bring him back to talk about the movie, uh, his thoughts, and uh, how what the uh, legacy of Fred Hampton is uh, in the aftermath of the movie. Anyway, I urge everybody to check out the movie uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, I spent the better part of the weekend trying to uh, get over the impeachment vote. Yes, it was an open and shut case, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Trump told MAGA to take the Capitol. MAGA took the Capitol. Donald Trump pretty much incited a riot, pretty much trying to intimidate senators and congressmen from certifying the election. Pretty much an obvious case of a megalomaniac whipping up his believers into forcing Congress to give Trump an election that he lost. And he walked, acquitted, free to run for office again. The Republicans, the so-called law and order party caved in and not much law or order except for seven. Let's give him a shout out. And I had to look that last name up. <laughs> As you all know, before we came on the show, but I remember the other six, Romney, Collins, Markowski, Toomey, Sass, Burr, and Bill Cassidy of Louisiana. The bar is low, but we got to give them credit. And they are under pressure, by the way. Adam Kinzinger, the congressman from Northern Illinois who voted for the articles of impeachment. The story broke yesterday. He's getting crazy letters from whacked out relatives who tell him he joined the devil. It's getting weird out there, folks. Republican Party is really doubling down on this. We love Trump stuff. In the aftermath of the impeachment vote, I was thinking, who was the most disingenuous, dishonest senator of them all? And the winner, I think we all agree, is... Mitch McConnell. Yes, Mitch McConnell. Man, talk about trying to have it two ways. He went on and on and on about what a scoundrel Trump is and how he's ruining the Republican Party and damaging the country, how he perpetrated a fraud for weeks, the fraud being that he actually won when, of course, he lost. We all know that. How he incited a riot, how he endangered the very lives of all these people in this room, how he and he alone is responsible for the insurrection. And then... Just when you think old Mitch is about ready to vote for conviction, he flips. It's like me flip-flopping on Madigan. I'm not going to do my Mitch McConnell imitation. I'll say that for Dennis. But he voted for acquittal. He said it was too late to impeach Donald Trump because he was out of office. I was too late. I was acquittal. You know, if I didn't know, if I didn't know better, I thought Mitch McConnell was in Dennis's apartment. Pizza, pizza uh, French fries, pizza, French fries. Anything like <laughs> French fries and pizza and skiing. Anyway, he said it was too late to impeach him because he's already out of office, even though other officials had impeached had been impeached after they had left office. And even though 
had he, Mitch McConnell, wanted an impeachment trial before Trump left office, he, Mitch McConnell, could have done that, but he didn't. Could have had that, but he didn't. Because he wanted this all along. He wanted to be able to say, I'd vote for conviction, but. And even then, he didn't fully commit to voting for conviction. He said, and I'm paraphrasing, if you started the trial on time with Trump in office, I might be persuaded by the argument made. So he comes full circle. He starts by saying he was effectively persuaded by the argument and that Trump incited a riot. And then he ends by acting as though he's not ready to commit one way or another. I don't know what he's afraid of. He's over 80 years old. He's got another six years in the Senate. He just got reelected. I don't think anyone is going to beat him in 2026. And it's so long from now, the world could change a million different ways. It just seems so transactional. Like McConnell would have made the commitment to vote against Trump if he could have gotten something for it. But since there was nothing for him to get for it, he won't make it. And you wonder, ladies and gentlemen, why so many tens of millions of citizens have fallen for Donnie Trump. Say what you will about Donnie Trump, words I thought I'd never say. But at least he's not a weasel. We got a great show today, everybody. Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa. Yes, indeed. The pride and joy of the 35th Ward. Big time Bernie Sanders supporter. Carlos. 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 Come on, everybody. So much to talk about, local and national. Carlos can uh, do it all. Probably talk a little impeachment, talk Bernie and Biden, talk about Lori and the Chicago Teachers Union, talk about reopening the schools, whatever's on Carlos's mind. Uh, He is the leader, the dean. Isn't that what they call him, D? The dean of the Democratic Socialists in the Chicago City Council. So Carlos Ramirez Rosa will be joining us. I'm looking forward to that. We haven't had Carlos on the show in about six weeks, young Dennis. Oh, you've been counting, huh? (laughs) Maybe two months. I don't know. It's been a while. Too long. So anyway, I reached out to Carlos. He's coming on. He'll be here at 2 o'clock. But before we do that, the young man from home, the man that Carlos happily calls Dr. Ski with the new. (laughs) It's my new name now, guys. Dr. Ski. I'm Dr. Ski. <laughs> Find me on the slopes, falling on my ass every twenty seconds. <laughs> I almost said that with a straight face, <laughs> Doctor Ski. Doctor Ski, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, with the news. that's me. Hold on, hold on one second, Ben. Yeah, I got you, boys. Hold on, hold on, boys. I got you, Ben. You won't believe this, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm out blowing snow here. <laughs> Ben, you won't believe yeah. this. You know we have a newsroom, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I went out and took a look at the newsroom this morning. I couldn't get into the damn thing. Our news crew has been trapped in the newsroom all weekend. I was skiing. These guys have been busting their hump. Oh, my God. I know. That's horrible. I know. I've been blowing snow all morning. Hold on. I got you, boys. Hold on. <laughs> Hang tight. I'll get you. Oh, all right, cool, cool. We got some break. We got some leeway here. I can get in. Hold on. Let me get into the newsroom here. Check on these fellers. Hold on a second. Hey, you good? Here's some soup. Give me the story. Thank you. Hey, man, at least you can heat up the soup before you just throw a can at them. It's one of those where you, you open up the can, they're fine. I'll tell you, they're a hardworking bunch in that newsroom, man. And they were snowed in. They couldn't get out. 
to go to that. Where's that place you have there? That the, the wings. They go have that chicken wing place in Lawrence. Oh yeah, they yeah. Go get the chicken wings, man. Yeah, I don't remember the name of that place, but damn good wings there on Lawrence and Spalding. Go check it out mm-hmm. sometime. All right. Well, hey. Oh, you guys good? All right. Cool. It sounds like they're skiing down there in the newsroom. It's a big newsroom. We got news. Oh, they got hard workers, though. Hard workers. Yeah, I know. I was just blowing all that snow. Hard work pays off, buddy. By the way, before you do that, can I just give a shout out to my next door neighbor, Ann? Without Ann, I would have been hey, exhausted, sweaty. But she took her snowblower and blew the snow off of my sidewalk. So when I woke up this morning, bright and early at 10, and went outside to uh, shovel, D, I only had to do the front steps. How about that? Thank you, Ann. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And you are awesome. You helped out this podcast today. All right, let's find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. We begin in Chicago, and we begin with Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. (laughs) All right. Uh, Oh, Lori trotted out that speech for someone to the New York Times, huh, D? I didn't mean... (laughs) Uh, Today, the mayor bundled up and visited the Chicago Fire Department Quinn Fire Academy at 9 a.m. She congratulated new firefighters at a CFD graduation ceremony. And rumor has it they cleared out a little spot and they all made snow angels, Ben. (laughs) I believe. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's good. That's our mayor. She's just getting to know the firefighters by making snow angels. Yeah. Another, it's a good time. Love making snow angels. All right, now let's get serious. Last week, the dispute between the mayor's Chicago public schools team and the Chicago Teachers Union ended. But did it? But did it? Ben, did it? I don't think but it'll ever end. I don't think uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot's the kind of person that gets over these things. She's kind of from the Jarofsky School of holding grudges for, oh, I don't know, 30 years? <laughs> Yeah, both parties have worked out a deal. Teachers and students will be returning to their classrooms ASAP just as soon as this giant pile of snow starts to clear out. But also, yes, these two organizations still can't stand each other. Thank God. Science is back, baby. Does not take a scientist to figure that one out. Hey, Dean, let me ask you a question. Hmm. Does it take a scientist to know you're not going to have school when you get like uh, 20 inches of snow? Do you think you got to be like Albert Einstein? Remember last week? We've got to get these kidlets back to school. We've run out of runway. Remember that one day they ran out of runway? No more runway. No, the ball's in your court. And then the next thing you know, the temperatures plunge to zero. Get 20 inches of snow. Schools are open, though. We've got the schools open. Oops, 20 inches of snow. All right, stay home another day. Oh, what a city of Chicago. we got to rush to get this thing through in the middle of the worst winter in years. Just so what? Kids, you're going to go to that classroom, kid? You're going to put on that snowsuit? Get in there. Back in the old days, we walked to six feet of snow. All right? We didn't have virtual teaching. We went to school in the snow. (laughs) Poor kids. Kids are like trudging through the freezing cold, trudging through the snow. See the pictures last week, D, of the first day of school? Yeah. The kids are all bundled up. (laughs) Well, that looks fun. 
No, nah, I'm just saying, listen, don't listen to me. I, I was not the greatest of scholars, so maybe I don't appreciate school enough. And that brings us to Sunday's New York Times. Ah. <laughs> Sunday's New York Times featuring an interview with Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. That's right, because when you're the mayor of a city, there's no better way to get some positive PR that won't hold you accountable for your actual day-to-day work than doing an interview in a city 800 miles away. Isn't that right, Ben Jarofsky? Absolutely. New York Times talked with the mayor about the last month or so of negotiations with the CTU and shared with all of us what she has learned through all of it. New York Times' Dana Goldstein writes... In an interview with the New York Times, Mayor Lightfoot, a Democrat, speaks frankly about her relationship with the Chicago Teachers Union and how she plans to build trust with students' parents. After campaigning to restore an elected school board, she now says that she believes reopening would not have been possible without mayoral control of schools, something that mayors in Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Portland, where schools remain closed, lack. All right, so let's comb through some of this interview with the New York Times, and let's face it, reading other people's interviews with the mayor is the closest we will ever have to getting our own actual interview. Uh, it's Chicago <laughs> Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Well, it's not like we're really trying, so let's be honest about that. Uh, I have five questions uh, here from the interview, and we'll get to question number one for Mayor Lightfoot. Uh, the question was... You said a goal of the negotiation was to help everyone feel safe, not just be safe. Can you expand on that? Lightfoot expanded saying, quote, This last go around with the CTU was very different than the 2019 strike and much more complicated because this was about health and safety issues. The emotions and fears were real and raw. I am really glad I got involved personally. I learned a lot about the fears of teachers, hearing it firsthand. Their fears about their household members, not just about themselves, were really real. It was important for us to create a pathway to address those. And I think we did. Wow. Where do I start? You've you've given me so much. Really real? Really real. Really real? Really, really real. So let me get this straight. So the 2019 strike over nurses and uh, more assistance for the class, that wasn't real. But this is really real. This is not only real, it's really real. And what? You you had to sit down. Let me get this straight. You had to sit down and negotiate with uh, the teachers. By the way, what teacher did you talk to? I'm trying to think of when Lori Lightfoot ever talked to a teacher. There's no teachers in her circle of advisors. There's no uh, public school teachers, I should say. Uh, no public school teachers on her school board. No public school teachers on the uh, uh, in her uh, city council. I'm like, what teacher did she talk to? So now she knows it's really real. And why would you need to talk to a teacher anyway to know that fears over the pandemic are really real? You were the mayor who did the commercial about thank, don't go Thanksgiving with granny. Remember that one, D? Don't have Thanksgiving with grandma because you could give her the COVID or she could give you COVID. You could all just drop that. Remember that commercial? But it took a conversation with a non-existent team. I'm starting to think that Lori Lightfoot may have like this friend, the teacher. You know, Dave, remember I tell you that sometimes I'm walking down the street and I have my secret best friend that no one can see, only I can see, who's like a really great basketball player. And we talk about how we play basketball together. And it's like my secret best friend that nobody can see. 
I'm starting to think that Mayor Lori Lightfoot's like that with the teacher. She has a secret best friend that nobody knows about and nobody can see. And this public school teacher told her, Mayor Lightfoot, teachers are really, really scared. And Lori Lightfoot go, until I talked to you, secret best friend, I didn't know that. So yes, this notion that somehow or other, it took 80 tortuous meetings. Let me remind you that. They bragged about that. I can't remember, Dee, did she brag about having the 80 meetings to the New York Times reporter, the 80 meetings with the teachers? Oh, I don't think dragged, they got in there. They dragged Jesse Sharkey. Hey, Jesse Sharkey. Hey, Stacey Davis-Gates. We're going to make your life freaking miserable. We're going to drag you into a meeting with the HR guy. <laughs> He's who's going to read you the school code for the next hour. I don't know what teacher she was talking to that told her it was really real. I don't even know why she had to talk to a teacher to know it was really real. <laughs> she what? She just thought that like the teachers didn't weren't paying attention to the COVID. They were just like, enjoying this time offs. You know, they all all they had to do was do a Zoom meeting thing, teach kids virtually. They were just enjoying it was so much fun. Now, D, after she talked to her imaginary teacher friend. She discovered it was really real. Really real. Sounds like a rock group. Really real. <laughs> really, really real. Really? Real. Really real. <laughs> really? <laughs> really? <laughs> really real? Really, really. Okay, on to question number two from Dana Goldstein. <laughs> the question to the mayor. This is a really real question, guys. There's concern in education that some of these labor fights are so difficult that all the focus has been there instead of on engaging in dialogue with the many parents who have significant misgivings about their children returning to school. Mayor Lightfoot's answer. A lot of our residents are still very scared. They have great concerns about the virus. So addressing the needs of parents is really now, anytime I see the word really, I can't think of a really real uh, of parents is really part and parcel of addressing the needs of our larger resident population through education, through outreach. It's also important for us to talk about what's happened to our children during this. In this pandemic, social life has been completely torn from so many of our young people, our three, four, five year olds. Their social emotional learning is absolutely central to their growth. And yet we see them learning on screens. We know that's not the best way to learn. Hmm. I agree with her. Can't argue with anything she said there. It's really not a good way to learn uh, on a screen. Although there was a time, D, mm -hmm. uh, in a previous administration, so I'm not in any way blaming uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. They were farming out charter school deals like virtual companies. Remember that? I, you know, it's funny how things change. These charter schools that were like virtual, online, they were really real. You know, that was, that's how you, really real. So it's funny, I guess we've evolved. I should, I should take it as a sign of progress that now virtual, we've all, we've, our mayor has decided that the school, that the teachers union was right uh, and it's not a good idea to do virtual learning. So I think that's a sign of progress, but can't argue with anything she said there, D. Lightfoot went on to say that she was fine with the fact that President Joe Biden kind of waffled on his support for the mayor's game plan. But to be fair, 
He didn't really announce his support for the teachers union either. It was just a bunch of unprepared words poorly pieced together at the last minute. Play the radio. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone. Make sure the kids hear words. <laughs> Wait a minute. Were you... Did you write what you just read, or yeah. were you quoting uh, Dana from the uh, New York Times? No, that was that was me. Oh, because that didn't sound like anything I would read. <laughs> I can't see the New York Times saying that uh, President Joe waffled. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, that sounds like Dr. D. Dr. Ski. All right, on to question number three. <laughs> Dana Goldstein asked Lori Lightfoot, you have said that you want to be the voice for parents and students in this debate, but some families were troubled by the district's move to lock teachers out of their remote learning platforms if they refuse to go back to the classrooms. We know a majority of Chicago parents who completed a survey said they wanted to continue with remote learning for now. Do you feel that the threat of lockouts may have seeded distrust? The mayor responded. I understand that the notion that we would lock teachers out was disturbing to all. It should be. But it should also be disturbing when teachers say, I don't care what you say. I don't care what you do. I'm not going to abide by the contract or the rules that have been set for my place of employment. That's chaos. <laughs> okay. All right. Chaos. It's like uh, that scene in The Joker where Gotham City is just filled with rioters. You know, I mean... The reality is we're in the middle of a pandemic and we've been told for months and months how dangerous it is. And we've been told for months and months that everybody except for the absolutely essential workers who keep our economy going should stay at home. That's what we've been told for months and months. And now we're suddenly being told that, oh, we've learned a few things and it's okay to go back to school. And if you don't believe me, uh, we will have 80 negotiations with the HR guy to try to convince you. Wait, 80? So yeah, I think she said there was 80 meetings. 80? Yeah. <laughs> Eight zero. Wow, that's pretty impressive. I believe there were 80 meetings. I, I, at one point it was 70, and then like within a week they had like 10 more meetings, and it was all of a sudden 80. And I remember Lori Lightfoot and uh, Janice Jackson would come out and to really accentuate this point. And this is the thing that you got to understand about reporters in Chicago. They got to, you, you give them a number and they're there and they're yours forever. We've had 80 meetings. 78, 79, 80. 80. Eight, wow. And reporters are like, uh, eight, zero. And they write it in their book and they type it up. I know. Cause I've been wondering reporters. They had 80 and then they go on TV. They had 80 meetings, 80. And then they're on channel 11 and it's WTTW. And they got Jesse Sharkey at the table and they go, Jesse Sharkey, you've had 80 meetings and you still couldn't come to it. 80 meetings. And Jesse Sharkey's like, um, um, ah." <laughs> 80 meetings. Okay. I forget where I was <laughs> at the start of this. That's okay. That we'll, move on. we'll move on to question number four. It was such a great thing. I was going, but I forgot where I was. Yeah, I'm sure you'll remember. <laughs> question number four from Dana Goldstein to Lori Lightfoot from the New York Times. 
I have used the word feisty to describe the Chicago Teachers Union. You might choose other words. <laughs> How would you describe the role that CTU plays and its history? Lightfoot responded. Let me put it in a context of labor across the city. We have, we have relationships with over 40 organized labor unions. Oh, boy. We have labor peace with almost every single one, except for two. The Chicago Fraternal Order of Police, which has a lot of right-wing Trump aspirations. What's up, Johnny C? And the Chicago Teachers Union. When you have unions that have other aspirations beyond being a union and maybe being something akin to a political party, then there's always going to be conflict. Yes. Well, this is um, uh, Mayor Lightfoot's strategy. And actually, she inherited this from Rom. Uh, she learned this one from Rom. And Rom would go around, he would say the same thing. I got peace with all the unions. That's a terrible Rom. That's more like a daily. That's maybe like channeling my inner Richard M. Daly. And I realized when I go back in time, like Richard M. Daly was so many years ago that a lot of people don't remember him. This is sad. It's been 10 years since Richard M. Daly. And I realized like millennials just have this vague memory of him. So when I do Rom, my imitation of Rom, it's my imitation of Daly. But anyway, I digress. Rom was a big one at that. He had like his, like he, he made peace, quote unquote, with smaller unions that didn't really have the power to resist him. And he said, we all agree. It's only this unruly teachers union that I can't agree with. He left the fraternal order of police out of it. He wasn't ready to fight like a, a two front war union war. So he was like the teachers uh, were the bad guys and gals. And they've always been, or at least they've always been since Karen Lewis took control in 2010 and her uh, coalition of supporters. And so ever since then, the, for, as far as mayors are concerned, as far as editorial boards are concerned, and as far as corporate Chicago is concerned, the teachers are the bad boys and girls of Chicago. And if only they would be reasonable, if only they would do what they're told, if only they would shut up and go back to the classroom. But this is what I was getting at, D. And I will never let this one go undiscussed. Lori Lightfoot never reached out to the union at this critical time to say, what can we do to figure this out? Despite what she tells Dana Goldstein, I actually didn't even say that she did that with Goldstein. Lori Lightfoot allowed her minions at the Board of Education to engage the teachers union in a series of discussions that dragged on forever instead of just reaching out. And then she pretends like it was the course of that negotiations for whatever it's been a month or so that enabled her to see and learn that teachers are scared. Like she wouldn't have known that at the outset. And so I just feel as though the teachers union is a very convenient tool for Lori Lightfoot right now. And I can give her credit, D. I'm gonna give I'm gonna say something positive about Mayor Lori Lightfoot. It's a very sharp, a smart tactic. I, I, I believe that turning the teachers union into your enemy will help her on the north side of Chicago, where more well-to-do people uh, live. Uh, they're not that favorable to the teachers union. I talk to my neighbors from time to time. I hear what they have to say. They've been saying essentially the same thing. Uh, this is Lori Lightfoot's base. They've been saying the same thing since the days of Rom. I remember when Rom sent his precinct captains out in 2015 going door to door, they would say, 
Chewy Garcia is going to take, raise your taxes and give the money to the unions. I go, well, what unions? And they made it clear it was the teachers union. So it's like they've invested in this political notion that the Chicago teachers union is some far left uh, outfit uh, that is so extreme beyond Bernie Sanders even. And all the Dems on the north side of Chicago have bought into it. And I think it's a smart political tactic on her part. Does it make for genuine labor peace? No. Is it good for the school children of Chicago? No. Is it good? Does it foster like a good working relationship between the people who run the city of Chicago and the people who teach the kids? No, of course not. But that's not what this is about. This is about building up your base of support so you can win re-election and whenever the next election is. So I think it's a very brilliant move. It's working. D, I, I can hear it uh, in the voices of Northsiders around me who really don't like the teachers union and kind of miss the days of ROM, you know? And so, uh, yeah, I think it's a very po- politically successful uh, tactic and strategy to follow if you want to hold on to your support on the north side of Chicago among Dems. All right. A little Lori praise. Maybe we'll get that interview after all. <laughs> I'll say, <laughs> I doubt it, D. Well, on to question number five. agree just to talk about football. <laughs> Bring well, you on. We'll talk about the Bears. Okay, no sports. All right. On to question number five from the New York Times and Dana Goldstein. I have noticed that some big cities with mayoral control of schools are open or moving toward concrete reopening plants. And some big cities with school boards like Los Angeles or San Francisco or Seattle seem stuck. In the past, you supported bringing back an elected school board. Where do you stand on that now? Lightfoot responded. We don't... We would have never opened without mayoral control. It's quite clear. The fact that L.A. and San Francisco had to sue to force the conversation about reopening. Look, what's easy, the path of least resistance, the political expendency would have been to do nothing and just let the unions dictate what the state of play was going to be in the education. That's never, ever going to be the path that I take. Wow. First of all, let me point out that Chicago is the only uh, municipality in the state of Illinois without an elected school board. And somehow or other, every single other municipality, big and small, has figured out a way to work with its teachers to either open the schools or close the schools or reopen the schools. It happens all the time. And by the way, it may happen in Chicago. We could have a spike. I don't want to see a spike, but we could have a spike that would force the mayor to close the schools again. So... This notion that only this is so Chicago, so Chicago. This is this is this is the path they feed you, Chicagoans. The city is so unruly, and the teachers' union is so unreasonable, and it's it takes a strong, powerful mayor to make it all work. This was the joke about Rahm Emanuel that we used to do all the time. Like when New York was struggling with its uh, transit system, Rahm wrote that wretched at well somebody wrote it and he put his name on it i don't i actually don't think he wrote it or read it but anyway that essay the new york where else the new york times what a philip pages with propaganda from chicago mayor go to the new york times they're only happy to oblige and and, and you got the feeling from it that was the joke we made i was back in the radio station in those days d it's a little too critical of rom may have hastened my departure anyway uh, you got the feeling that Rom wanted credit for absolutely everything that was good about transportation. It was like 
he himself was driving the trains. And that's why we do the joke about Rom driving the trains. And it's the same thing with Lori Lightfoot. And it was the same thing with Richard M. Daly. This notion in Chicago that it takes a powerful mayor to make the city work. Without the mayor, it would just be chaos. And I always say this. This is a great debate I have with Kenny Davis. I go, Ken, 90% of what happens in the city of Chicago would happen even if we didn't have a mayor. Those trains would be running. Those garbage trucks would be moving. They'd be plowing the alleys, the streets, etc. We don't need a mayor to do that. It's just this notion, this powerful mayor who's in charge, makes people feel really secure. And so she's feeding into that. Somehow or other, Evanston has figured this out. Well, Matt, when that can they all have elected school boards? Ah, oh, it's unruly. You need a powerful mayor to control the city. Yeah, by the way, if she was the powerful mayor two months ago, all she had to do was call Jesse Sharkey. What, what's it gonna take? But you see, that's not how powerful mayors operate. That's a sign of weakness. A powerful mayor reaches out to the Chicago Teachers Union. You can't do that. It's like Mayor Rahm. Everybody was mourning Karen Lewis last week when she died. Uh, obviously, nobody's ever learned anything from how Mayor Rahm treated Karen Lewis. He sat her down. He said, look, we're going to have a longer school day. I'm going to cut your pay. And that's the way it's going to be. And you're going to sell that to those little commies in your union. That's what he told her. They dropped the F-bomb a few times. And she said, well, Let's not just talk about a longer school day. Let's work together and have a more meaningful school day. Otherwise, it's just childcare. And he told her, F you, Lewis. And then they had the big strike. And Rom thought, oh, all of the city will support me because they believe that the way to deal with teachers and the way to deal with the teachers is to sit them in the office and tell them what to do. And I'll tell you what, it worked on the north side, D. As I said, I think that attitude is very strong and prevalent on the north side of Chicago. It's a more, it's a wealthier group of, uh, we talked about this with Sam Holloway. We got to bring Sam Holloway back, D. We got to bring Sam Holloway back to firefighters. Get his opinion on what firefighters think. Of, she just got finished saying she gets along with all the unions except for the teachers and the cops. I mean, and that rumor is she was do, doing snow angels with the fire department. We could fly. <laughs> but Sam Holloway was not one of the firefighters doing those snow angels. Uh, anyway, so yes. So clearly she's taking a page for Rom. It would be all chaos if it wasn't for the mayor. And so everybody in the city of Chicago is supposed to say, thank you, mayor. Thank you, mayor. Well, the New York Times is saying, thank you, mayor. Thank you, mayor. And a lot of people on the north side are saying, thank you, Mayor. Thank you. I don't know about the rest of the city, though. Now on to Monday. And you'd better believe that the Mayor's Sunday New York Times softball session is over because we're back to the Chicago coverage. The Chicago Sun-Times and Fran the Woe Man Spielman said, enough of this hippie kumbaya crap. <laughs> she brought us all back to reality by calling a little BS on her New York Times interview. Step back, Goldstein. Watch how it's done. <laughs> Spielman writes, Mayor Lori Lightfoot campaigned as a staunch proponent of an elected school board only to repeatedly block what she calls, quote, an unwieldy bill that would triple the size of the board to 21 members and a citywide elected president. Now she's telling The New York Times Chicago public schools would, quote, never have opened without mayoral control, fueling speculation about whether she will ever deliver on that pivotal campaign promise. The interview she will never deliver on it. It's just less than that now. 
now go. <laughs> the interview was conducted after the bitter negotiations that produced an agreement to gradually reopen CPS for pre-K special education clusters and students in kindergarten through eighth grade. In it, Lightfoot argued that the negotiations were difficult because the CTU has political aspirations. Uh, the mayor was quoted as saying, I think ultimately they'd like to take over not only Chicago public schools, but take over running the city government. Lightfoot pushed back when the interviewer <laughs> noted the CTU, quote, might say that its larger aspirations are to increase funding for schools and to achieve goals like police reform so students are not criminalized. I don't believe that's correct. I mean, if you look at their spending, there's a clear indication of what their largest, uh, what their larger ambitions are, she said. Lightfoot once again noted she has, quote, relationships and signed contracts with over 40 unions with two exceptions, the Fraternal Order of Police and the CTU. Uh, Spielman then did a little interviewing of her own, Ben, and talked with the Chicago Teachers Union. And, you know, when you're trying to get uh, when you're trying your best to counteract a Chicago New York Times piece. Sadly, an interview with CTU president Jesse Sharkey just won't cut it. I am right now. um... Fran reached out to the VP, SDG, Stacey Davis Gates. And per usual, because she's a badass, SDG was SDG. Look, she's going to be honest. And people get ready for more elected school board discussion. CTU Vice President Stacey Davis Gates said Lightfoot's claim that CPS would, quote, never have opened without mayoral control is par for the course for a politician who said one thing on the campaign trail and another once she took office. SDG said, quote, our mayor has misled us on a number of issues. Lincoln Yards, Hillco, Anjanette Young, No Cop Academy. Her shift on the elected representative school board is consistent with other misleading actions to exalt mayoral control in a post-Trump America is the wrong direction. Democrats should be prioritizing and amplifying democracy. An elected school board is about democracy for Chicagoans. One would even say that it is a voting rights issue. This is a district that serves predominantly students of color. Why shouldn't their parents have an opportunity to take a vote for the futures of their neighborhoods, their schools, and their children? You had an entire season of families, parents, and students lifting their voices for what they needed from our school system, only to be shunned and muted throughout the process with our mayor. Those people, parents, families, students deserve to have a voice, a seat at the table and the ability to create policy that represents real justice and equity. Uh, Davis Gates also pushed back against Lightfoot's claim that the CTU aspires to take over the school system and city government. What the union wants is what's best for students, their families, teachers, families in the city at large. She said, quote, our members know better than anyone the intersection of housing insecurity, food insecurity, addiction, racism, segregation, over-policing in our school communities. That's called advocacy. That's called common good bargaining. That's called being attentive and empathetic to the needs of the people we serve in the city. For the life of me, I don't know why any elected official would make paraprofessionals, school clerks, clinicians, and teachers their enemy. Yeah. By the way, uh, Lori Lightfoot did strike a deal, sign a contract with the teachers union. So she's keeping this thing going too. And like I said, there's a larger political game happening here. Uh, they, The teachers supported Tony Preckwinkle. Lori Lightfoot never forgave them. And I don't think we'll ever get beyond that, D. Uh, and that's just a reality. And yes, Lori Lightfoot broke pretty much every significant promise she made uh, in terms of an elected school board, in terms of TIF reform, uh, in, t- in terms of police reform. And a lot of it has to do, I'm going to give her 
benefit of the doubt, um, that uh, when she became took office, uh, she realized that if you give control over to schools to elected school board, that's less power for her. Hmm. Now take a genius to know that the more authority you give it to a school board, the less authority you have. She didn't want to give it up. It's the same thing with the TIFs. It's the same thing with the police department. We're still waiting for the oversight board. Remember, she promised that as well. And so, yes, there was a, in the Franz article, Franz Spielman's article, she wanted to quote Michael Scott. This is a favorite theme uh, that you'll see uh, in the Sun-Times coverage, it's, which is, is that it's different to be a candidate than to be an actual mayor and that candidates will say any old thing to win over the Ben Jarofskis of the world. And then once they're in her office, it's like, all right, forget that hippie stuff. That's just something we tell Mick Dunkey and Ben Jarofsky at the hideout. And it does feed a lot of cynicism. You know, you wonder why, uh, well, what what was the last election day? They were so excited, 35% turnout. Nobody believes anything a politician says. And as soon as it's over, they say, yeah, of course, we'll say any old thing. This is Michael Scott, the alderman. uh, This is his explanation, the mayor's uh, ally. Oh, yeah, they just say that when they're running. But when they get elected, it's something else. So... Why would anybody have any faith uh, in a public official? I would have had more respect, I suppose, for Lori Lightfoot if as a candidate. She said, no, I'm not for an elected school. But I think Bill Daly may have been the only one who said that. You know, but uh, it's like, no, I don't want an elected school board. Elected school board is too, but it's too messy. I just want to control. By the way, why even have an appointed school board? What do they do? You know what I'm saying, D? I'm, I, she appointed all. She First thing Lori Lightfoot did was she made... Mayor Rahm's school board members resigned. She accepted the resignation, and then she appointed her own. I can't see anything fundamentally different between the way Rahm's school board acts and Lori's school board. They just are quiet and do whatever the mayor says and never raise it. I didn't hear a peep out of the school board during the whole showdown that just happened between uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot and the teachers. I never heard them say one word. Miguel Devay, the former state senator, was the president. I didn't hear him. At one point, the teachers union had a protest outside his house, Dave. So look, the reality is that when the New York Times comes to Chicago and studies Chicago, it's this very bizarre attitude that they have, as though like it's a, this unruly, not that bright city that wants to be New York, but it's not quite smart enough to be New York. And it's just kind of like these dumb people just sort of sludging around. <laughs> but what they need is like a really tough mayor. And and that's what keeps them in order. And that's, you can learn from that. And they got this like this thing about the Chicago mayors, like having this sense of what you have to do to bring order from chaos. The New York Times is obsessed with that. They love Mayor Daley. They're like, he was the education mayor. They talked about, like he figured out something about public schools that no one had ever figured out before. And then of course he left and Rom said, oh no, it's not really that good at all. So then they just completely, the New York Times, forgot everything they said great about Mayor Daley and started saying, Mayor Rom's gonna make a longer school day. What a great visionary. I remember the interviews that David Brooks, the columnist, and Tom Freeman, the other columnist, did with Rom, the great progressive who's practical and yet a visionary. <laughs> like, oh my God, you guys actually believe this stuff? There's just something D 
about a New York Times reporter or a columnist and a Chicago mayor. It's just like the love they have for that mayor. It, it's like, oh, they figured it out. And everybody else is like a bit player in this drama, the unwieldy teachers union that's too radical for its own good. The right wing cops. <laughs> the, the rabble in the Chicago City Council. You know, and every now and then they'll interview some lefty hippie guy, you know, some professor. No, they always bring in a, a professor uh, will now explain what's going on. This is like classic New York Times. Uh, we got an interview with a professor. Do you wear glasses? No, I do not. Can you just put some on? Look smart, <laughs> <Yeah>. please. <laughs> That's New York Times, man. They love Chicago mayors. I'll tell you what. If it was up to the New York Times, no Chicago mayor would ever be defeated because they just love them. I guess the further away from Chicago, the better those mayors seem. Yeah, so I'm sure we'll stop talking about the story one of these days. I'm not sure. But that's the latest of what's going on there. And actually, we do have a response from one of Mayor Lightfoot City Council members. That's right. And Alderman has weighed in on all this. So, Ben, what do you say we ended out with another episode of everyone's favorite daily Chicago political drama? People, it's episode 317 of a mayor and her alderman. A mayor and her alderman. You have to be a good neighbor. You have to be a good neighbor. Otherwise, I'm going to be up your butt every day. Okay. Uh, alderman Tom Tony, yeah. With cinnamon roll speakeasy. No, today's episode is not about Tom Tony, and no, it's not brought to you by Cinnamon Rolls. Today's star of a mayor and her alderman is the 24th Ward Alderman. Ben, who would that be? Well, come on, I just mentioned him. Junior, Michael Scott Jr. All right, just making sure you, you still got it, buddy. You still got it. Uh, Lightfoot's handpicked chairman of the city council's education committee said he can understand why the mayor is backing away from the elected school board she promised. We have the quote from Michael Scott. The quote is, quote, it's always easier to campaign than it is to govern and connect the complexities that exist between CTU and CPS and you being the chief executive and you having to wear the jacket for that all the time, Scott said. I can't speak for her, but it would be very difficult for me to say I'm going to relinquish control then ultimately wear what happens with the children in the Chicago public school system. It's hard to do. Yes, I just, like I said, just say any old thing to get elected and then do what you want to do once elected. And then you wonder why 70% of the city does not participate, does not vote. And it works well for Lori Lightfoot. If 70% of the city, uh, if excuse me, if 100%, can you imagine that, D? I mean, in a million years, you'd never get 100%. So let's just say 90% of the people in the city of Chicago actually voted, what it would be like. It'd be just a totally different city. So yeah, it works well. Don't believe a word any, uh, I think Jay Marie was the one who ch chastised me for believing what Lori Lightfoot's told. Uh, <laughs> well, it's more than Jay Marie on the live stream chat that do that. Yeah, what's that? No, it's more than Jay Marie, trust me. <laughs> yeah, guys, what a dummy I was. She looked me in the eye and said, yes. I believe in elected school board, yes. I understand this is just politics and whatever Stacey Davis Gates says now doesn't really matter. And then when this is over, I reach out my hand and say, shake her, her hand and say, kumbaya, yes. I, I want the teachers union to be a partner with me and everything. Now here we are two years later. 
And she's telling the, the eager New York Times, who's just eager to print everything. By the way, you know who took ran with it is um, like all the Trump newspapers. I saw this day online. They're like, you know, they quoted that dastardly. Because one thing the Trumpsters despise even more than they don't like Dems is like the radical left. And to them, that's what the union is. So that's just feeding them. You know, it's interesting. They didn't mention the Trump newspapers didn't mention her takedown of the uh, Fraternal Order Police, but they talked about the radical teachers union. So yeah, I guess I guess Michael Scott is telling us what we ought to know. Never, ever, ever believe anything Mayor Lightfoot tells you when she's out campaigning, because she's going to do whatever she wants once elected. All right, thank you, Michael Scott. Now that I know, I'll take that into consideration. So there you go, D. And there it was, the latest episode of everyone's favorite Chicago daily political drama, episode 317 of A Mayor and Her Alderman. A Mayor and Her Alderman. I don't want an answer. It's not something you ignore. I think you're 100% full of shit is what I think. If you think oh, we want to fuck you, fuck you then. Oh, <laughs> Who are you to tell me I'm full of shit? So, hey, we got to send that to Dana Goldstein. She'd be like, what? Oh, my God. I thought everybody loved Lori Lightfoot except for Stacey Davis Gates. <laughs> well, he did want an answer. Uh, all right, everybody. Uh, more Aldermanic coverage coming up. That's right. Uh, will it be episode 318 of A Mayor and Alderman? I don't know. We're going to have to wait to find out. Carlos Ramirez Rosa, the 35th Ward Alderman, will be joining us in moments. All right. So don't go anywhere. Remember, you can find The Ben Jarofsky Show online at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can always send the Ben Jarofsky Show an email, bennyjshow at gmail.com. Leave your name and where you're from if uh, you'd like us to read your comment on the air. Also, we have a phone number. It's true, 708-658-4788. The number again is 708-658-4788. Leave us a voicemail. We would love to hear from you. Remember, chicagoreader.com slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y, for all the information you need to know about the latest book coming out, the greatest hits book from our very own Ben Jarofsky. And you can sign up if you want to help support the Ben Jarofsky show. Become a binhead. Are you a binhead? That means you really like the show. You know, dedicated show listener, a binhead. Are you a binhead? Well, go to chicagoreader.com slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y, and find out how you can support the show. When we come back, Carlos Ramirez Rosa, it's the Ben Jarofsky show, snowed in from my apartment and his Attic.
to be a good neighbor. I don't want an answer. You have to be a good neighbor. You have to be a good neighbor. Otherwise, I'm going to be up your butt every day. Yeah.